Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan. Yeah, I remember getting up behind the slot machine and I remember looking up, peering up from it and there was absolutely no one in the bar after it fled the toilets, up the stairs, everywhere and it ended up with two gunmen. Noel, we're just over here from you know, Northern Ireland, we're doing a bit of a UK term, we just wanted to give you an EP and then there was just a silence and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, like the gates of heaven opening like you know, my kid is nothing, he's no football, he's no school, he's no... So we just can't wait for this hour of music and yeah. this. So we, we began to realise that we're kind of turned into a bit of an essential service for mental health. And that was the voice of Martin Rafferty, with just a taste of the conversation that he had with me, your Armagh Eye podcast host, Elaine Ingram. Martin is one of the finest and most talented musicians to ever come out of Armagh. He takes us through his musical career from his days with Ignition and the success that followed, including playing up to crowds of 10,000 people on the same stage as Feeder and Reef. Martin has some amazing stories to tell from his days on the road, including tales of meeting some legends such as Bono, The Edge, Jimmy Page in Burger King, no less, um, and his hero, Noel Gallagher. He's been spending lockdown teaching mostly remotely from his music school and entertaining us all with his um, Facebook lockdown sessions. He also has his new EP, Atlantic Crossing, coming out in a few weeks time. So let's hear from Martin now. Hello, Martin, how are you? Yeah, um, all good, thanks. I, I suppose uh, for anybody who doesn't know, you are the voice of it's actually nice to put um, a face to the voice because you've been the your song has been the intro for our podcast since we started. <laughs> it's been so long, which is off your fantastic EP. That's right. Which um, I have to say, I really I've been listening to and I really really like. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So um, tell me, I suppose starting off, you know, how you got involved in music in the first place. Yeah, well, I think from growing up in the house in Ardmore in the early days, my family was always in the music. So my mum and dad, uh, my mum especially, would have been playing like the Grease soundtrack, you know, oh, on the old vinyls. Please vinals. don't talk to me about the Grease soundtrack. My 13-year-old <laughs> daughter is obsessing over it. She just discovered it a few weeks ago. Played <laughs> on a loop in my house. Yeah, <laughs> so I remember my mum having like the vinyls and stuff and playing like Grease soundtracks and then of a couple older brothers and then... Obviously, when they were a bit older, it was like Nirvana and Green Day and Oasis and uh, Guns N' Roses. So um, music was always in the house and we all listened to it. But um, so I suppose I didn't really think of Anna becoming like doing a career in it until accidentally. I think my, with a wee like two string guitar in the house. A two string guitar? Yeah, it was like a wee Spanish type guitar that my auntie had given my mum and it was kind of more like an ornament in the house. Because I've never heard of a two string guitar before. Ah, well, there was four <laughs> strings missing, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, I remember just, I used to sit down and So you could play um, status quo. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's about it. <laughs> but I, I used to muck about in it, just like hitting the odd like wee riffs like Sam by me and stuff, but it was not like major and then... One Christmas, I think it was about 10 or 11, I wanted Skelectric 
and I got Scholastic for Christmas and then this big coffin shaped thing came down from the attic that my dad had and everyone was like what, what's this and who's this for and my ma was like you know I think this is uh, Marty's and I took it out and there was a guitar in it and it was like what's this about? What age did you say you were? About 10, 10, 11. So uh, yeah so my dad just decided to get me this 11 pound guitar uh, from King's Toy Store and Katie, I think it was, uh, just to see, he'd seen me plucking the two strings, so he says, why not get him on my six, and yeah. see how he gets on. <laughs> so, after getting bored of Scholastic, I used to kind of just um, muck about, and just, literally just hit nothing, I didn't know any chords, so I just used to sit in the mirror, pretending to play Wonderwall, just. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I take it you were an Oasis fan back then? You had to be, well, no, you didn't have to be in our house, it was either Oasis or Blur, so my big brother was in the Oasis, and my other brother was in the Blur, so oh, it was gosh. like a, a big rivalry, do you know what I mean? <laughs> one would be playing like the Blur record in one, one end of the house, and the other one's playing the Oasis record, <laughs> so I failed towards, the reason I failed towards the Oasis end was because I bought like, two six pound chord books for the guitar and one was Oasis, one was Blur and the Oasis chords were so much easier, it was just G, D, E minor, I looked at the Blur one, like Park Life and it was like bar chords and all these weird chords. So did like, that not tell you something about which is the better band? <laughs> <laughs> more technical bands, more technical. <laughs> I probably alienated half my audience now by saying that. <laughs> Them out Blur fans. <laughs> so, that so with that you started actually, you know, learning songs and uh, you know, it became something you really loved? Yeah, well, um, obviously we didn't, well, we had an internet, but it took about two hours to load up one page. So you kind of just had to figure things out yourself. So my auntie taught me a few chords and um, that was it when I was in school. Uh, one of the one of the seventh years in school when I was in first year used to print me out songs uh, with the chords and stuff on it. So I kind of just got around to learning myself. And um, yeah, and it was pretty much out of Oasis chord book. I just went through all of that and then um, I used to absolutely love watching a thing came out like Oasis Unplugged. Um, it was the show that Liam Gallagher didn't perform and he had a ride with Noel and said there was something wrong with his oh, voice. Oh yeah, I remember and that one, yeah. <laughs> I, so I used to then, I used to watch that and just idolise Noel Gallagher. So I used to sit in my kitchen and literally just like dim the lights and like play all the songs. So are you still a, a, a Noel rather than Liam? Um, person, That's a good question, I because I wouldn't be a fan of his new stuff, Noel's, but Liam's still rocking out like the old stuff and it's still rocky. So, yeah, I suppose I'll give give Noel a bit more time. But I mean, still. they always Noel was always the one that they said you know was the kind of brains behind you know, the songwriter and that kind of thing. But um, and then people sort of felt a bit sorry for Liam because he was the, the <laughs> strappy younger brother. Aye, the brat is his air of the hand. But yeah, Noel was always me. Do you yeah, think they'll ever get back together? <laughs> if the mo well, if when Noel's career begins to unwind, a solo career on Liam's, I'd say they'll have no alternative but to get back together. All right. Yeah. yeah. And when the money runs out. When the money runs out, <laughs> that's it. Because <laughs> it happens to the best of them, even Fleetwood Mac were the same, weren't they? Exactly. Stone Roses as well. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that that might have been one that they might have done better to have you know not gone down that road exactly because, uh, yeah yeah i don't think they were ever as good as stone roses were never as good as they no. were at the beginning ian brown could never sing and he still can't like so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing changes there <laughs> so when did you form um the band then i for i was always writing songs when i got the guitar i was always writing songs and kind of playing around or more like doing we performances and stuff and then and uh, when i was a kid and then I uh, got into 
St. Pat's Grammar School and started forming like my first band, Ignition, with a few uh, mates from school. So what we used to do, we just used to uh, take it pretty serious, as in we used to just play songs or practice flat out, and then we used to hold um, monthly gigs in the Northern Bar. And what we used to do was we charge like a favour into the gig, and we used to maybe pack it out with about 400 people. And my dad and the bass players all used to do the doors. Well, that was so. good that you were able to get a big number like that. I mean, yeah, it was really good numbers we were yeah. getting. So we were coming out with about two grand. We were able to pay my dad and the other my bass player staff for doing the door. And uh, we used to just divide all the money up. And then uh, sometimes we'd invested it in gear and PA systems and apps and stuff. like So... It's really good, like you were walking in school loaded, like do you know what I mean? The following week. Yes, yeah, so who would who wouldn't want to be a musician then? <laughs> this is the way it's gonna it's gonna be all the time. Yeah. But I'm sure it hasn't been like that all the time. I'm sure you know. Do you ever have gigs where uh, you know it's been bad audience wise? You know, for whatever reason, you know how how's that? Oh, yeah, it's it's like anything. Um, like we've done like gigs to you know ten thousand people, and then you've done gigs with no one there. Like, do you know what I mean? But it's one of those things. Like we've obviously myself and anyone that's been in the band's just a massive passion for actually playing the songs and especially songs that you've written. Like that. Um, I suppose it's if I suppose me as a musician, I don't know what what everyone else, everyone else has taken this, but. If there's no one there, you just count it as rehearsal, pretty yeah. much. Do you and you're still I mean? getting paid. I, if you still get paid, that's fine. Yeah, if, you're not, if you're not getting paid by the door, if you're actually getting paid for a gig, I suppose that then... Exactly. Happens. But it must be a bit disheartening. But I'm sure that doesn't happen to you very often. Not not now. Like, it did back then, like, a lot. But, um, but yeah, the gigs, obviously, with the crowds there, makes up for them, you know, once in a blue moon, where there hasn't been anybody there. <laughs> So how did you get, um, you know, such a huge following? And like you were saying there, like you were play, play, playing huge gigs and huge stadiums with some very, you know, well-known bands. How did you manage to get to that point where you just, you know, discovered or is it hard, hard work? It was, well, I've been a musician, I suppose, effectively playing live since I was like 15. So on the local end, like a lot of people would have knew who we were as Ignition and then obviously followed me and my yeah. music project up to now. And then really just different managers got on board from the States and London and um, booking agents. And then uh, when tours were organised, um, that's where we were able to open up our music to a bigger market. Obviously the internet, you know, people from all over the world were obviously able to hear us and um, really get to know us as a band. And um, yeah, and then we, like we went in our first tour and we played like in a lot of small clubs in the UK tour, but we we're getting like large amount of a large amount of people coming out to see us, and you could see the buzz kind of getting bigger and bigger. Does that come a lot from supporting big bands? You know, do you, do you find that? Because I know myself, if I've been to gigs, sometimes like you hear the support band and you're like, my God, I never heard them before. They're amazing. And yeah. Do you did you find it? Do you find you get a lot from that? Definitely, we did a few festivals. Uh, we played and festivals, yeah, that's amazing. Festivals because you're not not supporting there, but you're you know you're you're there with other acts. So yeah, they come across you that way rather than actually specifically going to see you. Yeah, we played like um, Lee Stock. It was a festival that Feeder were headlining, and Brilliant. Reef were playing as well. Yeah. And we were on, uh, I think just before um, Feeder, and so obviously there was about. 10,000 people maybe there so you're getting the opportunity to play to 10,000 people that are potentially fans of feeder and then 
we got a lot of traction from that because they were you know obviously in clubs you're playing to maybe 100 people at a time 200 people but when you're playing at a festival of 10,000 people like it's it's a completely different thing and then I was brought to the States I had a really good manager in the States and he brought me over there to play college showcases um, over there and Fort Bliss military base to the US troops wow. um, so it, it was really cool experience like over in Texas and then um, since I started going out on my own like as more solo musician it's been just brilliant because you're playing with uh, different musicians yeah that's it so you, you, you are you know you are this it's, it's your band but then you bring in different musicians all the time or do you have the same people in the band yeah with this band uh, by accident I had gotten the four the three lads that are in the band uh, currently is Connor Cunningham Dave Mulgrave and Jordy Kelly so Ed asked them did they want to go on the UK tour which was only a two week tour yeah. and then we rehearsed and then done a successful tour and festivals and then once we come back I was getting more bookings so they were the first call I made is like, so you're like Dave Grohl are you? Uh, <laughs> oh, his money <laughs> but um, so they were, they were my for, first port of call and yeah. it was meant to be it was, it was meant to be different musicians at every tour every show but it ended up that the boys that are playing with me at the minute always were up for or wanted to play and loved the songs so um, I've pretty much been playing with them for the last three years now like yeah so they're pretty much yeah as much of the part of the band as I am yeah yeah and and you do what but you do all the songwriting okay yeah, I've always wrote the songs from the ignition days like so uh, yeah I just I get really into songwriting just writing about life in general but I guess like I just wanted to put into my songs uh, you know something positive so I always found from doing cover gigs that I, I didn't want to be one of them musicians that would like play a slow songs because my interpretation is when people go out on the weekend or Saturday night they're coming they're going out to escape like work during the week and they want to have a few drinks and yeah. get rocking in a positive mood so I kind of went that way of like trying to write positive songs that people could go out and sing and dance to and yeah you're quite guitar based band and yeah yeah um, who, who would you say now would be your influences in terms of you know your songwriting your because your songs yeah are sort of like storytelling in ways yeah I would say for the newer stuff my own solo stuff at the minute would be probably Bruce Springsteen yeah yeah um, well that's yeah, I the storytelling story aspect telling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and there's a band a New Jersey band that my wee sister Jenny got me into a good couple of years ago they're called the Gaslight Anthem and they're influenced by Bruce Springsteen yeah. as well so it's like you've got Bruce Gaslight Anthem and then you've got us who's influenced by Gaslight Anthem yeah. and Bruce so it's and you probably find as well like that you you, you might not even realise like other people might say things to you that you want, they might hear something in the music and you might uh, not have even thought of it you know it's exactly like, yeah. people say Green because Day things, yeah yeah Green Day actually yeah Green yeah. Day would be I kind of did hear a bit, a bit of that in yeah there. but um, so I suppose you have like plenty of stories to tell um, you mentioned the Northern Bar there yeah, that was. <laughs> I did read a story, but um, tell our listeners uh, about that. <laughs> yeah, we used to play in the Northern Bar pretty much every Thursday and Sunday night back when I was in school doing my GCSEs. And then um, it was so good, like all our mates used to come down, and it just used to be them old bar days where everyone used to come and sing and dance. But there was one particular night we were playing at it. I think we were playing like Wonderwall or something and there was a group of boys in front of us um, that were there and singing along etc and then um, 
I just remember hearing this loud bang and like seeing this blue flash and going, what the is going on here? Like, and the bass player getting up with the bass still around them and, you know, trying to get up to the, uh, there was a slot machine beside us. And it ended up that, uh, yeah, I remember getting up behind the slot machine and I remember looking up, peering up from it and there was absolutely no one in the bar. Everyone had fled the toilets, up the stairs, everywhere. And it ended up there was two gunmen uh, had come into the bar and shot someone in the knee Jesus. right in front that's, of us. That's scary. Aye, and all we heard was, do you know what I mean, the screams of obviously him that was shot and the gunmen still walking around and then fired a couple more shots. And what did you do? Did you duck or what? Oh, we were behind the fruit machine <laughs> with our guitars. <laughs> So it was one of them, like, what? I suppose there isn't much you can do in a, in a, in a scenario yeah. like that. I mean, you're just there. And yeah. Just, yeah, it was like, even if we do run, I don't think we're going to get out of the get out the doors with the guitar still around. <laughs> so um, it was the scariest thing. And I just remember, I remember them leaving and then my mates saying, I think they're away. And we pop, peeped their heads up, like from the slot machine. And the weren't there and your guy was just sitting there. I think we were just in shock and then it was just like when the police came and ambulances and the whole lot like we kind of looked at each other and we were like are we still getting paid for this like or was and then went <laughs> looking for probably the, the shock I went, went looking for the barman to see if we were still getting our, our pay for the night and he said to, to call back the next day and we are like no bother <laughs> <laughs> and what about the fellow who got shot how was he I think he ended up, ended up fine he was brought to hospital and obviously had to get his leg bandaged up and stuff and that's the last I heard I didn't know who it was like so it was the last I heard or seen of him did you play in the northern bar after that much oh did and the gigs were bigger and better after that you must have some some good stories from the travels that you've done and the some of the bands that you've played with I know that you said that you um you met Liam Gallagher Noel or Noel Gallagher yeah and you met um Bono, did you meet Bono? Bono? We met Bono on the you, edge. Uh, yeah, tell us, tell us about that. I well, the the Bono thing was one of my mates who's a really big fan of our band. He wanted to take me to a U two concert, but his um, uncle, I think, writes for the London Observer, is actually good mates with Bono. So we got us two tickets, but little beknownst to me was we got down and there were actually two backstage tickets. Where was this in London? Uh, no, this was in the SSE Arena in Belfast. Okay, right. So, um, but yeah, I went down and it, it was on most surreal experience. Like we took right to the top of the Odyssey Arena and then there was these wee like wait, made up waiting rooms and then there was like a, a wee mini bar and stuff and the the agent that took us up says uh, they'll be coming soon, just work, work away at the bar and I was like, no problem at all. Like So I just took into the bar and then all of a sudden Bono appeared around the corner and we got chatting then I got the, he'd heard about the the our own music as well and I gave is, him a, that's brilliant you want yeah, to exactly what you'd like to hear yeah that was from Cormac Sample at would be telling them so we gave him an EP and had a few drinks with him and then the Edge came in and we're chatting to him so uh, what are they like in real life they're real dead on yeah they're, like you know they didn't say anything about me drinking their beer backstage anyway so <laughs> <laughs> Bono didn't charge me so um, sure you can afford it <laughs> and then we're brought down uh we were there with them for about half an hour and then we were brought down up to the front to see the whole live gig and stuff and Bono was sitting explaining to me what the whole show was going to be about and about the graphics and stuff so that was cool and then on on the last tour we did uh, just before obviously this whole pandemic hit me and the boys were doing a UK tour and then um, 
We've seen one of the boys had said about uh, Noel Gallagher is Instagram. He was in London at the time, so we says like, well, we have a day off tomorrow. How about like we'll go up to because he's he says like do you know where he lives? Um, he said it in many press interviews and they were going down what about fans calling the house and he says well the fans paid for my house so I don't mind fans calling up and stuff to the That's house. That's a refreshing attitude. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. So and he named where he lived and stuff. So we says well they're day off the tour. You know we'll go and you know uh, see if we can find his house and you know give him a shout. So before we did that we're in Burger King and Connor the guitar player says to me I think Jimmy Page is in Burger King of Led Zeppelin and we were like what? <laughs> and I was like yeah Jimmy Page so we went in and I was like what the hell so that's a bit surreal isn't it? yeah this was the same day come <laughs> on like the, the gods are, are, are on our side like so we give um, Jimmy Page did you Page. say anything to, to him? to Jimmy? yeah to Jimmy <laughs> we did I think Connor went up to speak then originally at the start and he says uh, I'll have a wee chat to you once, it, once I finish my Burger King and then Jimmy Page eating in Burger King couldn't yeah, he? Yeah, I I think he's he's like sponsored better. by them or something. Oh, right. I only found this out later, so I suppose he has to be seen <laughs> in Burger King. And uh, he was with one of his mates in Burger King, and then Connor got to speak to them afterwards, and then we, we went up and gave him an EP. Um, that was good. And then we and he wished us good luck in the tour, and then. Went to Noel's part of the country in London. We knocked a few doors. They said, no, he lives down there. And we finally wrong. And they just like, no bother. Like, just, oh, he lives down there. Yeah. Just Pretty much, yeah. And were, they, there, were there not a whole load of fans camped outside his door? No. He's been around a long time now. Maybe he yeah. it's not like he's going to get all these like 12-year-old girls or anything. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't expecting much. Like, we only went up. It was a few hours to kill before. So if we didn't meet him, we didn't meet him. So it was just a case of we plonked the... the tour bus that we're in up and had a donder down the road rang a few buzzers said no it's an axe house and then we rang this buzzer and then there was an answer you know outside buzzer and rang it and there was an answer hello we said um you know noel we're just over here from you know northern ireland we're doing a bit of a uk tour we just wanted to give you an ep and then there was just a silence and then all of a sudden it was like you know like the gates of heaven opening like the gate just like <laughs> Open slowly and then he appeared. I, I just amazed. I can't. It's recorded like it's. Uh, I think Chris Heath, the photographer at the time, has it all on video. But it was just so surreal. Was there, was there music? A classical music? Yeah, that's it. It was so it was slow motion for me. And just my my mother said she's seen the video and it's like the color just drained from my face. It was just like. Uh, yeah, it was the most because surreal Because he was thing. your hero growing up. Oh, like that man is the reason that I wanted to like, play guitar and obviously, you know, wanted to do what I did like. So it was just absolutely surreal. And he was so nice, do you know what I mean? We, we got a few photos with him and, you know, we told him we're over on tour and we're, the next show was... But that's really nice of him. You know, you it was, yeah, it was so nice. And he took our EP and then we told him that our next show was going to be in Dublin Castle. And he said, oh yeah, I remember playing there and, you know, really good luck for it. And this, that and the other. And he said, it'll give the, the tunes a listen and different things. It was just monumental. Like You didn't get any feedback after that then, did you? Funny enough, I was expecting a bit of feedback, but funny enough, no, I haven't got anything yet. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure he's busy though. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. He's <laughs> a busy with, man. <laughs> fighting with Liam. Or as my mum says, attack. probably stealing all my tunes for his next album. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. Very, that could be very true. <laughs> so you're, I'm here now. We're in the, we're in your guitar school. How did that come about? And how long have you had that? Yeah, again, it, it was like the guitar. It was accidental. I was 
was kind of playing guitar myself and then my mum came to me and says that um, one of her friends approached her and asked would I teach her young kids how to play a guitar and um, I, I didn't teach guitar so my mum said oh, could you do us a favour and just go out and so my mum and dad left me out to uh, who's now a good friend of mine at the time, uh, Cormac McSherry's house, and taught him a few chords and, you know, just a bit of strumming. And then after a couple of months, you know, the phone rang again and was like, here, you're teaching uh, such and such a kid. Could you teach my kid? Yeah. And then taught snowballed him. From that. And then it kind of snowballed from word of mouth. And then, um, yeah, and then to cut a long story short, I maybe then had about 40 students in a week. So I was 40 hours that it was doing a week and then the phone was still ringing and then it was just a case of like do I get someone else on board to teach or do we just keep it small and just decline the calls so I decided to go the other way and get an R tutor on board and then it just kind of went from that to having 15 tutors and a general manager so it was just how long ago what, what year was that or when did it actually when did you actually we'll be celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year so that was yeah that was just over probably 10 years ago yeah that's great because that you know not only are you doing what you love, um, but it also gives you more you know space to be able to you know do what you do you know tour and you know play in the band and stuff like that and not to worry so much financially. I'm sure at some stage during your life, I mean, I know enough musicians to know that I'm pretty sure that at some point you were told, um, to get a real job when you were younger, when you were a kid, maybe when you were starting to take the guitar, you know, and the band seriously. So you know, you don't ever ever have to worry about stuff like that when you have, you know, when you have a school going here. So you know, you that that must be, it must be helpful. Yeah, no, that's totally right. It's like the perception of musicians. I think in general, even when I was growing up, was like you know, like get a real job and stuff. Yeah. And it's like when I was in well, growing. Obviously, it is a real job, but I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's what you would have been, you would have heard that. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's like growing up in the house like my brother Chris, like. Um, he's like a local solicitor in town and my other brother was studying law and all my mates were going on to be doctors and you know girlfriends I had really like you know big jobs and stuff like so it took me until I was about 25 I didn't really you kind of have that perception even of yourself as that other people have is like you know this is like he's not even doing it like he's a waster he's not doing a proper job and yeah, stuff it's, a, it's like a hobby it's yeah, not a deal, but yeah, yeah. yeah that's not the case so I couldn't see that as I seen what everyone else seen up until it was maybe about 25 or so and then it was one of my mates gave me like a a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and it's like this story about like people setting up their own business and thinking positive and changing your whole aspect and as soon as I started reading that that changed everything for me I was like really going to take this school seriously and build it up and prove to everybody that musicians aren't just lay about do you know what I mean yeah. and you're doing what you what you love and I mean that's was, was there ever any other career option that you were ever considering yeah I wanted to be an archaeologist <laughs> Yeah, that's what I wanted to be before I picked up a guitar. And I used to like be in primary school and even like the early part of like in first year and stuff and look out the window and go, I'd love to be in India, do you know, accidenting dinosaur bones or like And I used to buy like dinosaur books, do you know, that had like a bone in each like book. But you had to buy the whole fifty yes. books to oh, build yeah, a trotosaurus, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah, that was my big interest was like dinosaurs and excavations and this something I was always obviously in the music and listening to music, but I never thought it would, you know, obviously have it as a career. Like yeah, but I mean, you're obviously doing what you were meant to do. You know, it's worked out really well for you. In in terms of now with the 
the pandemic, you know, if that's affects has affected musicians like hugely. Um especially when did you bring out your EP? Oh, our EP was about October, the first one under my own solo name was about October last year. Yeah, but then for 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 this for your music, you know, you depend on trying to like have people hear it. And mm. you know, if you can't tour and you can't gig, you, you people are you know, getting people to listen to your music is is a challenge. Are you doing these um online gigs and stuff like that? Because you can't do gigs anywhere else. Have you been doing that? A lot of that? Yeah. Funny enough, like me personally, because we're that busy with the school and we transitioned online when the pandemic happened, we've kind of just been busy that when it got gets to the weekends, you actually don't mind the bit of the break. But uh, but apart from that, you obviously would have been gigging every weekend or maybe on tours and stuff. So I haven't really missed it that much, to be honest. But my mates and all her musicians and different things obviously that's a massive part of being a musician is playing live obviously getting the crowd reaction and financially for any musician it's a massive part so um i guess us personally we just adapted to um we kind of done gigs uh, on our facebook page more as a pick me up for the community as in like you know you can't go out so I know, yeah and i know a lot of people who have been doing that i just just for yeah just to keep us all going was yeah we'd done about 10 of them what we call them lockdown sessions and it wasn't like it was not it wasn't going to benefit us financially it was just a case of we have a really good community in the school and an RMA in general and a good fan base it was just I found it as a way of more giving back of just like well we'll do a gig phase yeah. on a Saturday night and we'll do like you know a 90s night and like an 80s night and throw in a few of my own songs and uh, yeah so effectively we've still been able to gig do you know what I mean? Like through the whole pandemic, and um, I just think, uh, yeah, all musicians, my heart really goes out to them because there's a lot of my friends who that's their sole income is gigs. Yes. So I don't know. I've seen a lot of uh, people that I've been like, um, there's like Tom. How do you call him? Uh, you're gay to the the Gaslight Anthem. Uh, what he's doing is it's like online gig through a platform but he says i'm gonna play my album from start to finish and it was on this platform and it's like uh it was like seven dollars for a ticket yes. so i thought that was pretty smart like for yeah. instead of obviously doing a free show what he's doing is because obviously that's their main income is like you know you click on a link buy a ticket yes, and then I've you can watch that. him yeah yeah I that is, that, that's a, a good entrepreneurial thing to do but um not all musicians are going to be yeah, uh, they're kind of it's kind of a known thing that not necessarily musicians are the best business people because they're two different edges uh, ends of the spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, and I know plenty of those too, so it's it is very difficult. Yeah. But you've been working an awful lot with children, and you've been doing a lot in the community with the kids. You know, teaching them and stuff like that. What 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 have you been up to in in terms of that? To be honest, I was quite surprised because when the lockdown happened, I thought that we'd be obviously finished in the school until this ended. And then it was actually with a really, really good team at the school and a really good general manager, Dolan Byrne. So he foreseen this coming before the actual lockdown and was pushing for the online idea um, before lockdown. So we've built up that good of a community here and we do a lot of live shows and stuff with the community that the transition wasn't too bad because a lot of people trusted us, if that makes sense, to, to, do, to at least try online. And then we done the online thing, and then I thought like, 
do you know we're gonna be like one of them luxury services on stuff but we realized that from talking to parents um on if you met them up the street they were saying like do you know my kid is nothing he's no football he's no school he's no so we just can't wait for this hour of music and yeah. this so we, we began to realize that we're kind of turned into a bit of an essential service for mental health so well that's it yeah yeah i mean or something for kids to do yeah. you know it's like yeah music is so helpful i so i guess it's kind of like when we were like when we're in the school you know obviously pre-pandemic we've live shows every month where we get all our students performing they're meeting each other and meeting new people we're doing big gigs etc and giving them the chance for their families to hear them and friends so I guess when it hit, you're kind of thinking of other ways you can motivate them. So that's why you have to really think virtual and adapt. And we started doing like virtual live lounges and getting them to write their own songs and yeah. pretty much well, like... It's been working out okay, yeah. Yeah, surprisingly, I said to my best mate on Dolan at the start, I was like, I can't really help anyone out until I get at least a week or two myself, my head around this online thing because... I was really apprehensive and really anxious about it. And then once I started seeing the results and that you could progress students and you could really get good results and motivate them, that was me. I was like, you know, that, you know, this is actually a pretty good option, like, you know, for what we have. And then it gave me the opportunity to come up with ideas with a general manager of how can we start helping out other people or other businesses and different things. Like, so, so yeah. So you've been managing just to keep things keep things ticking over then yeah thankfully i have to say we're grateful every day that like in the music project yeah, because we couldn't yeah. gig we basically the manager phoned me in london and says right we can't gig so how about like we'll put a bit of money in the social marketing so that we build up our facebook followers or instagram followers so by the end of this pandemic we'll hopefully have enough followers that once we go out another tour we'll have a bigger fan base that'll want to come and see us live yeah. so that's hence you're we're just you know keeping that's things really positive way of looking at it yeah that's yeah on the same with the school you just have to you know this at the end of the day there's nothing anybody can do so it's either you, you have to wake up with me with the school you have to wake up and go right well that's this is it and you know what i mean i'm gonna you know put my head on the blankets and not get up until this thing ends you just have to like adjust. try to adjust yeah. adapt and try new things and it's the same with the music project it's either you just don't gig and do nothing at all or you go well how can we still grow without the gigs well this is happening and you just have to get on with it like yeah and do you can you see you know talking about touring again you know us traveling can you see that happening in the near future being able to travel again or do you think maybe when we get the vaccine that we can we'll be able to travel if we can if we get vaccinated and stuff like that or you i suppose you don't know like anybody else i i'm the same actually just wait wait and see I do, I do remember Connell, our piano tutor, talent, like we had a conversation about a year ago and Connell's great and he's some great ideas, but I remember him saying to me, <clears throat> there's going to be a new thing come out and it's going to be like virtual, you'll put on a virtual headset and you'll like be at the concert, do you know what I mean? And it'll be like you're, and I was like, what man, this is mind blowing, do you know what I mean? And then what I can't believe is that's already started happening a year later, so something yeah. that I thought was completely, so anything's possible nowadays like you, i might even i might even need to leave this room and be able to do a gig <laughs> to ten thousand people <laughs> them all with their virtual headsets on you know rocking out so it's really hard to say isn't it like but my my opinion is you know nothing really beats whether it's teaching or obviously you're in a you're going to 
a music concert a fest nothing beats like that interaction and energy of people physically being in the same I room know, as you yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean and I know a lot of people's came to me personally and have said how much they've missed like oh, going I out really to live music and I really, really do miss dances and music. stuff like but um, so I guess I guess nothing will ever beat that but obviously with things like this going on I, I, I suppose you you still have to adapt in some way like yeah have you have you heard anything about um you know the way Van Morrison has been very vocal about his uh, opposition to the government um, lockdowns and everything else and do you have any opinion on what he's 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 been given out about um or he's trying to sue the government about um, not allowing live gigs? Do you have oh, any right. opinion on that? You didn't hear anything about that. No. Do you know what? Which will surprise you. Only my mates. No, I've no TV in the house. I got rid of my TV and and I don't read newspapers and I don't read any news. Maybe that's the secret. I so I, I actually don't know what's going on in the world like something like only that my mother phoned my brother phoned me about the pandemic and obviously what was happening I probably walked into our man and everywhere closed and going what's going on here like <laughs> um, well, I have to ask you about this now why did you why did you come decide to get rid of your TV and not listen to the news anymore was there any particular <laughs> um, epiphany that came to you about this or was it just you were sick of looking at Carnation Street <laughs> <laughs> it was probably about five years ago I came home. I was coming home, uh, meeting the girlfriend at the time, and you were watching, like, I, I used to have a thing for Gordon Ramsay, Kitchen Nightmares, oh, so I'd yeah. watch an episode, and then it always would have left you in a cliffhanger, and I'd be like, what's going to happen next? And then I was like, on to the next episode, and by the end of it, you could have been like three hours watching, like, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> so you were like, addicted to Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> pretty much, or do you know them World's Wildest Police videos and all this stuff? And then I was like, I could have wrote, like, five songs and that, or I could have, like, grew the school in them three hours, like, different ideas, so... I was like, that's it. I'm wasting no more time on TV, which happened to then go on the newspapers and stuff. And so now when I go home, of like them three hours, I'll spend practicing piano or working on songs or, you know, doing this, that and the other. So yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much of the rest of us waste of our lives watching watching TV, <laughs> binge watching th- Netflix series. I think it's a quote, because I remember I'm, I'm big in the mood like reading positive stories and videos and stuff and I think it was like there's a gay or a nightingale who's really good and he said something about the TV and he says like you know people spend like three or four hours a day what it's like three or four hours in a day when you think about it like you could set up uh, your own small business with them three or four hours a day and actually he says like I have a car outside but I don't like spend like three hours driving around the block (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Every day, yeah, yeah. so way would to do that with a TV, like spend like three hours exactly, watching. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Obviously, that doesn't apply to uh, podcasts like ours because you can go for a walk or anything, listen to a podcast. Yeah. and that's what I always <laughs> say to students when they say to me, um, I would say, "Did you practice this week?" And I say, "No, I didn't have time." And I'm like, "Did you watch like we on Netflix this week?" And I like, "Yeah, yeah, just watch like a whole series of." And I was like, "See, so you did have time." Yeah, do you know. Yeah, I th- there's one. Oh, there's one more story that I remembered reading. I think on your Facebook page, and it was about um back to Oasis, that you used to play the, the B sides to. Um, <laughs> you have to you have to fess up to this now. <laughs> yeah, when I was growing up in Ardmore in my early teens, it was about thirteen, fourteen. We, there used to be a wonder what I call the Wonderwall in Ardmore. It was like the park, and I used to play all these songs like to everybody. And I was I was getting decent enough at writing songs, but I wasn't amazing. So what I started doing was um 
playing everybody like you know Oasis B sides and telling them telling them that I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> And they were all coming up to me going, Ma, you're a legend. Like, you're a genius. When did you, like, when did you come up with Master Plan? I was at a riddle last night. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, I, I thought this was great. And when I used to walk around the estate, like, do you know what I mean? They all used to come up to me and say, here, is there any chance you could play, like, talk tonight to us again or whatever? And I said, yeah, no bother. And it was only one one night. It was I remember it was a winter's night. I was in the house and I was only home from school. And I got a, got a knock on the door. And it was one of my mates in Ardmore. And he says to me, here, do you know them uh, songs that you've been playing? Like, you know, or more? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I just heard them on the radio and it wasn't you singing it. And I was like, damn. <laughs> so you were like, oh my God, yeah, somebody's like, stolen my song. <laughs> yeah, I, does anybody else know? <laughs> and he says, he says no. And I was like, right, but I knew he was going to tell everyone. So I just, I didn't go out of the house for about two weeks. Just the day down, like, but yeah, it was. It so then was, you decided you had to start writing your own songs. Batter songs, <laughs> batter songs than the Noel's B sides. <laughs> <laughs> How does the songwriting process work um, for you? I know everybody's different in terms of do you write the music first or the lyrics first? Is it like I often wonder that because I suppose different musicians have different processes, or do you? Would they come to you, you know, just in a inspirational moment? Or I what I would do if that mate picks it up as well, Liam. I would just strum a guitar. So my process is like so. Say for example, if I was doing, it's been so long. The the theme song to your show. Well, give us a give us a blast, yes. So yeah, if I was doing something like I'd come up with the chords. Thanks very much. I really do. I actually love the EP. The whole EP is great. You know, it really is good. Thank you. Yeah. We're, we'll be releasing the, the new EP now on the, next month, February. So the and next. how's that going to work in terms of, you know, you're doing it, you're not going to be able to tour it, so. No. You're just going to release it. Pretty I was much. actually reading an interview with, um, speaking of Dave Grohl a while ago, with the Foo Fighters, with Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters um, just the other day, and he they just released their album, um, and he was saying that they were struggling knowing when because the pandemic hit mm. right before they were about to release it. So they were humming and hawing and everything about whether they should wait or because they wanted to tour it afterwards and all this. And then they just said, it is what it is, we have to do it. And so they just, they did release the album and they will plan on touring it afterwards. So is that the way you're going to do yours? Just release it and then hope that you can get to go and play the songs afterwards uh, pretty the- much i so we've already played them songs like live even our last tour and stuff so it's it's really t- taken us that long to you know get a release and for us to wait till this finishes and whenever it's going to finish we just say it's like let's just release it now and yeah do you know what i mean you make no money from uh, streams or anything like that there so it's just really for people to hear and if, if, if people get a bit of positivity from it or you know a bit of inspiration like that's that's all it is for me like and then 
obviously if the monitor phones me and says like you know everything's opened up again and i've got you a tour do you know what i mean we'll be we'll be off yeah but yes yeah, so yeah it's just releasing it that's the, the two ways i see it like you know it's the same with teaching i would get teaching like doing a really good lesson in the school on like seeing the students face and like that confidence they get and the positive where it's a young kid six or a 60 year old it doesn't really matter but seeing that uh you change someone's life and that or of them get more confidence or more they're going out of here with so you get a lot of satisfaction from that so gigging's the same for me it's like if you're doing a gig to 100 people or a thousand people when you come off stage you have that sort of satisfaction that you maybe changed you know you inspired some to do this out of the other so probably with me not gigging i'm getting the same satisfaction out of teaching that i am a gigging so that's yes. probably why it doesn't really affect me as much like but as you were saying the band are raring to go band and me are raring to go yeah, yeah. rock and roll <laughs> well hopefully it'll be sooner rather than later yeah definitely definitely have to come and see you whenever you are out there excellent yeah yeah What's class? Okay, well listen, it was really, really great to talk to you, Marty, and um, hopefully we'll get to see you out in the road. And it was nice to hear you playing live there. You have a great voice. Thanks very much. Yeah. Okay, thanks. I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat with Marty. Um, make sure to check out his new EP and his new single, Won't Hurt You Twice. We have some great podcasts coming up in the next few weeks here on Arma Eye, so I hope you'll join me then. Black Hill Energy, heating homes across County Armagh. Fill up your tank for a rainy day with County Armagh's fastest growing fuel company. For latest prices, visit our website at www.blackhillenergy.net or call us today on 02838 344 223. Black Hill Energy, Ansborough Industrial Park, Lurgan.